Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. on this topic from Psalm 103, the great mercy of God. Buckets. There's my bucket. Buckets and buckets of God's mercy to us. And today we're going to look at that again as we work our way all the way down to uh, verses 14, 15, and 16. If you want to catch up on these other messages, they are all on the website. You can pull them up. They've been morning and evening for several weeks and uh, some of uh, those who attend in the morning and not in the evening, or maybe you've been away because of other things, uh, they're all available for you. So we've made it down to verse 14 through 16. Let me read it for you, and then we'll have a word of prayer and, and get started here. Verse 14, For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower in the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. I hope you're not depressed as we start this morning. All right? Let's ask the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great mercy toward us. We have been giving our time to the study of that mercy, and we're overwhelmed, Lord, with the kind of mercy you dispense and how kind you are to us. The biggest picture of all this, Lord, we know. It's the reality of that you gave your Son for us. He died on a cross for us. That we, through faith in Him, might have forgiveness of our sins and be set in a right relationship with you. You have showered upon us that mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Today, as we look again at your Word, challenge us with it, Lord, and open our eyes again to the the greatness of your mercy toward us. And perhaps if somebody here is among us who does not know you today, may they know you, come to know you through the word that uh, you will declare. Lord, challenge us thoroughly and change hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, you see in your bulletin, uh, uh, the topic is the present condition of mercy. The present condition, it's not a happy scene to start with, as you have just saw the, or heard the words that I've read and saw them, if you followed along in your Bibles. When we talk about the present condition, we, we look at 
where we are right now, who we are, what we are, and it's going to talk about our frame. It mentions that in the very first uh, verse, uh, verse 14, our frame, what we are made of, what we are made of. It tells us what we are made of in verse 14 at the very end. What is that? Dust. Dust. We have something like that in Oklahoma, don't we? A little bit of dust here and there. We're familiar with the concept. Uh, dirt, as some people might call it, just simply. Uh, we are dirt. Uh, now, some would like to think that they're a greater kind of dirt than other people. And they think, well, I, I'm a better dirt. Than, you, know, you know what does make better dirt? The fertilizer you put into it, right? And some people are think, they think pretty highly of themselves. When, 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 uh, uh, years ago, when we lived in Indiana, uh, Kay's dad uh, had one of the best gardens in LaPorte County, Indiana. It, it was, matter of fact, it was such a, a garden that people would stop on the road to look at it uh, because of the nature. He, he could throw seeds out there, and I exaggerate a bit, but the next day they're full bloom and, and just enormous. Uh, the dirt was rich as can be. It was just hard to describe. I, it, it was incomparable. And how he did that, I don't know. But he spent every day out there working that soil, working that soil. Work, he did it constantly. And I know we lived two hours away, and we would go there with empty buckets and fill them with his dirt and take them back to our house and put in our, our flower beds and things, uh, just trying to duplicate uh, what he was able to produce. Some people like to be considered better dirt than other people. But uh, the reality is we start this little text is that we are dust. Hold your place here and go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2 for a minute. I want you to see this. Not just hear it, but see this. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse number 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. It goes back to the day when God is creating... And it says here in verse number 7, Then the Lord God formed man of a tadpole. Oh, it doesn't say that? No, I must have a different translation. No. Uh, the Lord God formed man out of some sort of single creature cell thing that he found just randomly uh, floating in some ooze somewhere. And it doesn't have that either. You don't even have the word monkey in there, do you? Nothing like that? What does it say? Dust. He reached down and he scooped up a handful of dust. <laughs> That's what it says, right? Scooped up a handful of dust. And from that dust he did what? He formed man, right? He formed Man, he, he, he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. You ever feel in the morning when you wake up like dirt? You ever say that? Very accurate. Very accurate. In this picture, he formed man from the dust of the ground. And when he made that man, now we, we stand on it 
so many thousands of years later, literally thousands of years later, we stand back on this and we look at it and we say, you know, all we've known, and our, our cemeteries show it and our, our newspapers show it and all, it's just life and death, life and death, life and death, life and death. That's what we've seen for all these centuries. We've seen life and death, but that's not the way God started when he formed man. Now, I know and you know that God knows everything. The end from the beginning, so there were no surprises in, in what transpired in chapter 3 and how man sinned and all that. But man was formed to live. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of, breath of life. They were designed to live. Man, Adam and Eve, they were designed to live. But man sinned, right? And the wages of sin? Death. And we know that. That scripture made that very clear to us. And in Romans 5 it says, Because of that, death has spread to all men, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. Man's present condition is after that fall. That's where we are today. It's after that fall. And as we look at this passage in Psalm 103, we understand we were made by God. We were made out of the dust of the ground. And yet we have a spiritual problem that has brought about death. Physical death, spiritual death especially. But that's the result of our sin. In this passage, we've been studying many aspects of God's mercy. But we saw in verses 3 through 5, the fact that iniquities belong to us. It says... Who parted all your iniquities. That's ours. The iniquities. The diseases. Who do those belong to? Your diseases, verse 3 says. Those belong to us too. It says also in verse number 4, He redeems your life from the pit. If He redeems you from the pit, where were you? In the pit, right? You're dirt in a pit. But that's the picture we have already. And yet, the Lord was merciful. We saw in verse 9, and verse number 10, the fact that He will not always strive with us. Now, because of our sinfulness, we have made enmity between us and God. That's fighting. That's striving. That's where we are. And, and His work, thankfully, He doesn't give up on us. And he, he extends His mercy to us. And He doesn't always strive with us. But that's where we are fighting against him, enmity toward him. And it also says that he will not keep his anger forever. The fact is that sin does make him angry. The wrath of God abides on unbelievers. I don't know how you define wrath, but it's not a good thing. It's the anger of God. And those things were reality. Before we came to know Christ as Savior, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 tells us, and we walked that way. It was a continuous thing, and God looked down upon us, and we were as sinful as can be in our iniquities, in our diseases, there in the pit, walking in a manner contrary to Him, children of wrath, it says. We were children of wrath. That's not a pretty picture. But here in this passage, in Psalm 104, it starts with the fact in verse 14, He knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. We are dust. He sees that. But it goes on to add in verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. His days are like grass. What a comparison. Grass. 
here's a, a picture. I, I won't pretend at all that I can uh, instruct you in any way about wheat. I look at it. I watch you plant it, and then I watch you harvest it, and that's pretty exciting to see those things, especially on those good years, right? That's exciting. But what's true of a wheat plant is true of many plants, in that they start with seed. The seed is sown, it's put into the ground, and it does that thing that suddenly produces life in, in its uh, uh, seed that breaks out into a tiny little sprout, pops up out of the soil, and we get all excited because we see that little, that, that small green haze look to the top of the dirt. We start to say, it's coming up. And within hours sometimes, or days, you've got little sprouts about an inch tall, and then two inches tall, and then they grow up to four inches and beyond. Living in Indiana for so many years, there was an expectation that the the corn was to be knee-high by the 4th of July. Right, that was the phrase they used to use. But if you ever look in the paper, their goal is 10 feet tall by the 4th of July. And they have people who compete for that. And I don't know what they're putting in their soil. But uh, corn plants 10 feet tall by July the 4th is amazing to see. I've seen it, and it's amazing that it can do that. But it starts real small, and it grows, and it grows. And you know that. You know the, how that works. You've seen it so many times. But it grows. And, and, and soon after, after a length of time, the, the tops start to appear in the plant. And depending on what it is, of course, there's, there's a need for pollination and the, the uh, insects that do their part there and the wind that does its part and all the rest. But pollination is taking place and, and flowers are breaking out. And, and then eventually we have what we call the fruit of the plant, the grain that we've been looking for. It's developing there, and we start to see it form. We start to see it mature. We start to, to watch it. And, of course, the whole time we're praying, no hail, Lord, no hail, right? And all those other things. But then what is the very next thing that happens? We cut it down, don't we? We bring out the combines. We bring out the knives. In the olden days, they would bring out the reapers. And as this, this plant is struggling to get to this point, and it's ready, it's just flourishing in its maturity, we come and chop it down. Of course, we're after its, its, uh, its fruit. But it falls beneath the knife. The fruit is removed. What's left? This stubble. That used to be this real healthy plant that we've been praying about. It dries up. Sometimes you remove it from the field. Sometimes you plow it under. Sometimes you leave it up and just plow it or plant right over top of it. Different ways that people do different things. But what happens next year? Same thing, right? Next year, same thing. Start the procedure all over. New crop, new plants. Here we go once again. You just read the sentence over and over again. As for man, his days are like grass. As for man... His days are like grass. His days are like grass. That's history. Over and over and over and over. The plant sprouts up. It does its thing in maturity. We cut it off. Next time a plant comes up, it reaches maturity. We cut it off. Plant grows up. You see the picture? His days are like grass. 
I could have easily, I think, uh, made the presentation this morning by bringing in samples of last year's plants. If I went out and found some out in the field. They won't look very pretty by this time. Of course, we planted over them and things of that nature. But what would last year's plant look like right now? Not very attractive, I'm sure. Sometimes they left corn plants up all through the winter and, and in the spring you could go out there and there they were. Just as ugly as can be. All wilted up and brown and stiff and, and not, a, not a pretty sight. But that's a good reminder for us if we could just put it in our mind. Now, I know the challenge of all this because if you go out down the street right now, you see the green. see little plants about this tall or a little bit taller growing out in the field and it looks beautiful. Nothing compared to what we just had three months ago. We're anticipating, we're longing for the strength of the plant. We're praying for a good harvest this year. We're, we're hoping for all those things. But that harvest eventually will also weaken. It will also decay. But that's not in our thinking right now. Do you know why? Because we're anticipating all these things to happen, right? Isn't that very much like life? It's a young folk who would sit out and see life before them as, as so much yet to go through, to, to grow in life and reach the maturity level in life and all these goals and gains that they have in their mind. They're aiming for all those things. And some of us have been already through that route and we're on the other side working our way. That's not too pleasant, is it? We're not anticipating the green growth in the way that we see life. But this is a picture, he says, he says, our days are like grass. Weakness, decay. For some, it seems like a long ways away. For some of us, you wake up and you say, ouch, why do my fingers turn like they used to? You know, this little arthritis thing that sets in the eyesight issue that changes. When I went to the eye doctor some time ago, he says, what do you want to do, drive or read? <laughs> that was a hard decision for a minute. That's why I wear these contact lenses, these, and sometimes a magnifier, too. It's just the way it happens to be. I wanted to drive, I guess. We get warning signs that our, our bodies are changing. We know that's reality. We've seen it enough, haven't we? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. When's the last time you read that for devotions? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth? Before. And then he starts the list. Of everything that's wearing out. I heard that in such a dramatic way. And I probably told some of you this before. A very dramatic way. Um, there was a man in, in the very first church I served in. In Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he was 99 years old. Here I am a brand new pastor. 24. I felt like a little boy. You know. It was him sitting out there in the church. And sharp as can be. Love the Lord. Uh, uh, mind is clear as a bell. They took away his driver's license at 94. Uh, when you go 15 down the highway, that's not a good thing. Uh, but uh, he was still coming out to church every Sunday and all this. And then uh, three months before his birthday, because he always talked about his birthday. He says, I can't wait to reach 100. That was his goal in life. And uh, three, three months before, he fell and broke his hip. And uh, it, it was pretty severe in the nature that his bones were so frail, they couldn't do a thing. They put him in a, in a nursing home, and he was as mad as a hornet. 
they threw him out of the nursing home. They, they finally found one that wanted to take him. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was sad to watch those scenes, but he, he was angry because his goal was 100 years old, and uh, that just looked like, well, the history of that, some of you folks know, that was the end. Break a hip at that age, there's not much else to look forward to, and so he was mad. Uh, we went ahead, his family and the, me as the pastor and others in the church planned his 100th birthday party anyway. And the day that it came, we, uh, they sent the grandkids down to the nursing home, picked him up, brought him out to the, the uh, center we were at, and we had a birthday party. He sat in a wheelchair. You would think that he was completely drugged or something. He was unresponsive. He, he just didn't smile, didn't look at people. He didn't talk to people. He just sat there in that wheelchair. We're having a party all around him. It was his 100th birthday. Finally, his grandson, who had been talking on a, a portable mic like these, walked up to his grandfather. He says, Grandpa, you want to say anything to us today? It's your birthday. It's 100 years. And he hands him that microphone. And you can hear it as he started. He says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And he quoted saw, or Ecclesiastes 12 all the way through. All the way through. And when he finished it, he stopped. He says, it's true. That's all he said. Sixteen days later, we buried him. The Lord took him home. With a brand new body. (laughs) We rejoice in that. But at the same time, that was such a dramatic moment. There wasn't... You didn't even want to breathe as he was quoting that passage because there was a man who knew it. He lived it. He, he could, everything that was in that, you could see that he had known those words. He knew those words. He wanted his children to know their creator too. And I knew that was on his heart. It was fascinating to listen to that. But here as we read this, our days are like grass. Our days are like grass. We see the, the fading that goes on here. We're familiar with this text. But here's what's interesting in this text. I know it says our, his days are like grass, but what's the next comparison in that same verse, verse 15? As the flowers of the what? Of the field. Now, think for a minute. The field. We, we talk about the crops, what we bring in, the, the remains of that. We, we talk about the crops. We, we talk about the care that goes into the crops, uh, how we put so much into the health of a crop with the fertilizers, with the weed killers, with all these things, uh, the plans that we have, the expense of it all, the cost of the seed, the cost of the, the fuel, the cost of the machinery, the time that goes into all You folks know that story very, very well. With hours and hours and hours and hours invested into a harvest. We think of it that way. We may think of it as a flower bed, which is the biggest harvest I get in my, na- in my little yard. Work on the flowers. You plant the flowers. You work on the soil. You pull the weeds. You, you water them. And you've got to water them a lot in July and August to keep them looking like they should. You, you, you see the blooms that come out and you enjoy the fragrance. And there are some fragrances that are just beautiful. Yellow roses. Beautiful smell. Honeysuckle. I love the smell of honeysuckle. Uh, when I was in Brazil at the Pierschbacher's place, uh, there was this fragrance in the yard that I couldn't pinpoint. I didn't know where it was coming from, but it was something I'd never 
smelled that before, and I thought, what is that? It was a, the sweetest, most, I, I don't know, beautiful smell I'd ever smelled. And, and I'm walking around, going, you know, and they're thinking, what? maybe they thought I was strange. But I was looking for, what is producing this smell? And I worked my way over to the driveway, and there was a tangerine tree. And I was expecting a tangerine tree to smell like a tangerine, not the flower. Oh, it was just an awesome, incredible smell, the tangerine tree there. And I think, how much time we put into things that are beautiful, that produce, you know, these kind of smells that, that give us, that give us uh, a pleasure because we invested in the soil, we invested time, we invested money, we put all that into it. But he's not talking about your harvest, and he's not talking about your flower bed here. He's talking about what many people call the weed. The flower that just kind of randomly grows out in the field. Some of those things we want to remove, because they're going to mess up the harvest. But you've seen them grow along the side of the road. You've seen them grow up inside the crop from time to time. Do you know what's true of that, that weed, <laughs> that flower of the field? It grows the same way as your wheat. It starts from the seed. And it sprouts up out of the ground. And it grows an inch. And it grows two inches. And then it's four inches. And then it's gotten your attention sometimes. But it grows up and it struggles through the, the time of rain or the time of wind or the time of heat. And it works its way up to maturity. So it can pop out a beautiful flower or some sort of a seed. So it can spread and pollinate and all those other things too. It does all the same thing. But who gives attention to a weed? Who thinks about the weed? Who invests their time in making sure that weed is going to grow well? We don't, do we? We, we don't put our time and our effort and our thoughts. Matter of fact, unless we stop and look at it, we just drive on by. Unless we stop and, and consider it or pick them as we walk through the field because they're pretty little flowers. We rarely notice them and we don't think of their lives at all. It's just a weed. It's just a weed. As for man, he's like the flower of the field. Flower of the field. Just a simple little flower growing out there. As for man, his days are like grass. Scripture goes to add so many verses to this. I'll just read them to you. You could write them down, look at them. But I'll show you where it just spreads all over the pages. Psalm 37, verse 2. And they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Isaiah 40, verse 6. All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower in the field. Job 14, 1 and 2. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. 1 Peter 1, 24. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. James, chapter 1, 10 and 11. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, and we know that one, and withers the grass, and the flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. 
here in this verse, verse 15 of Psalm 103, another translation reads, human life is so short-lived. It says grass. It's blossom like the flower in the field. When the wind blows over the flower, it disappears. There's no longer any sign of it. No longer any sign of it. The wind passes over, verse 16 says. The wind passes over. It is no more. Its place acknowledges it. No more. Once in a while as mankind, we get a little prideful. Or maybe it's just me. We get a little prideful. We think we're significant to the course of everything. You know, where would history be without me in the middle of it, right? We get that way. I was taught years ago, there's a nice test to see your significance. What kind of impression you leave behind. You take a bucket of water, fill it. Put your hand in it and pull it back out and see what impression you've left. Quite a picture. Here's what Spurgeon said. As far as this world is concerned, he is as though he never had been. The sun still rises. The moon still follows its course. Summer and winter run their round. The rivers flow. All things continue in their courses as though they missed him not. So little a figure does he make in the affairs of nature. You know, it's kind of funny. Calendar doesn't begin or end with me. Clocks don't change because I walk into the room. I'm not the center of that all. When I read this, I realize, man, in all that he is, he's dirt, he's dust, he's a flower of the field. And it doesn't last. And what we do with this, we do all we can to adorn it, don't we? We take dirt and try to make it look pretty. We work hard at that, don't we? We, we embellish it, we cover it, kind of like those who like silk flowers outside all year long, just to make it look like something's blooming. Ecclesiastes, a whole book of this, folks. All your works, all your collections, all, all your labors, all your hobbies will be given to somebody else. Your body, it will lose its abilities, it will lose its faculties, your eyesight, your hearing will fail, your teeth will fall out, your ambition will diminish. Now I said, you weren't depressed when I started, I hope. I, I read through all that because that is the present condition of man. Today we're studying the present condition of mercy. And that's important. It's important because look at these same words that we just walked through here. And look at the difference it makes. Because if God hasn't done something in history to extend mercy to us, that would have been the end of my sermon. But God did do something. And the mercy He extended to us. Notice what it has to say about Him. In verse 14, these are the words we pass by because we're so focused on the dirt and the dust and the flowers. For he himself knows our frame. Stop and think about that for a minute. He himself knows our frame. He knows how you were formed. He was there. Right? He's the creator. 
He knows these things. He knows our frames. He sees us, as Psalm 139, I believe, says, how He sees us being formed in the mother's womb. He sees all that. He knows our frames. He knows what you're made of. Oh, you can embellish it all you want. Cover it up, act like it's not. He knows. He already knows. He sees that. He knows. We try to inform God about what it's like. He already knows. He knows it. It's kind of like telling uh, Henry Ford what a Model T is. Uh, He already knows. God knows. He's formed you. He's created you. He knows your frame. Matter of fact, what does Ephesians 2 say? Let's go over there so you see it. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. This this says an awful lot about it. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship. There's other translations represented out there. What's another word that you might have for workmanship? Masterpiece. Have you ever thought of yourself as that? We are His masterpiece. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. He knows what we are made of. And not only that, it says, created in Christ Jesus, notice, four good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. He not only knows what we're made of, He knows what we're made for, right? He knows all that. What we're made of and what we're made for. He knows that. He knows our make. He knows our build. He knows our constitution. He knows our temperament. He knows our infirmities. He knows our temptations. He knows how we perceive things because He can search everything about us. He knows, the text says. He knows. He knows. Now, here's something very fascinating to me in this passage of Psalm 103. He knows how utterly sinful we are. He knows, and yet, He extends to us His mercy. If you saw something walking on the sidewalk in front of you that totally repulsed you, what's your first inclination? Step on it. Right? God looks down upon us. We deserve to be stepped on. And he looks at us with love and mercy. He knows you. Isn't that amazing? He knows you. He knows what you're made of. He knows that. And he extends mercy. He knows who we are. That's, he's, matter of fact, he even goes further than that. It says in the same verse here, and he is mindful that we are dust. This is something he remembers. That's the Hebrew word for remembering. He chooses to remember. He knows it. And he remembers that we are but dust. He looks the town upon us. And I don't know if he says that. But from his throne, he could easily look down on me and say, Hey, there's that dirt again. Look at him. He just walked around. He remembers. He remembers. He remembers. Now, in contrast to what we've been studying here, what does he choose not to remember? Our sin. Isn't that what we just studied the last couple of passages? He chooses not to remember our sin, but he does choose to remember that we are but dust. He knows that. Jeremiah told us when we saw this several weeks ago in 31, verse 34, and their sin I will remember 
no more. I won't mark it. I won't put a bookmark there. The Lord just chooses not to remember. In mercy, He chooses not to remember our sins, but in mercy, He remembers that we are but dust. That's the picture of our God. It's quite, a, quite an incredible thing. He knows our frame. This is how the Amplified Version reads, verse 14. He knows our frame. He earnestly remembers, and this is where they add a little bit, but he says, and imprints on his heart that we are dust. I don't know if those words are actually accurate from a Hebrew text or not, but that's the impression that this writer gets from the idea of remembering. God imprints it on his heart. You know, this is an incredible picture of mercy, as I keep saying. The mercy that the Lord has for us. He knows exactly who you and I are. He knows our frame. He knows our sin. He knows that we're worthy of death. He knows that that's the price for sin. He, he's outlined that so clearly in Scripture. He knows all that. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, even while we were still sinners, sent His Son, Christ Jesus, to die for us. Would you send your Son to die for somebody who was so unworthy of even their own existence? God did that for us, didn't He? He did that for us. That's His mercy that He has extended to us. That He can look at me and forgive me. And say, I won't remember those sins any longer. That's been paid for with the blood of my son who died on a cross. This man believes me. I've made him a promise that all who believe in him shall have everlasting life. God in his mercy knows who we are. And he loves us. And he gave a son for us. Is that where you are this morning? Do you know Christ Jesus as your Savior? That's the difference that this whole chapter is ex- explaining to us. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, you're, you're the dust. You're, you're just like us, I know. You're the dust. You're also the sinful ones, just like we were. And you are still under the wrath of God. Apart from Christ, that's where you are. Under His wrath. But He's given a sin for you. He's called you to believe. To accept Him by faith. He's extended that to us. That's mercy, folks. That's incredible mercy that He's extended to us. This is what one writer said. We are not iron. We're not even clay. We're just dust held together by daily miracle. (laughs) Think of that next time you wake up. Dust held together by a daily miracle. Our Heavenly Father never overloads us, never fails to give us strength equal to our day, because He always takes our frailty into account when He is apportioning to us our lot. So many other quotes here, but what's incredible, this last quote I have, it's a paragraph, but it's just the last phrase, that actually was said 500 years ago almost. John Calvin wrote these words. The subject here treated is properly the brevity of life to which God has a regard in so mercifully pardoning us. So mercifully pardoning us. You see how He pities us? You see His compassion in all these things? 
He knows the frailty of their bodies. He knows the frailty of our souls. He knows so that we can do nothing. We are nothing. We can't bear anything. And then he extends to us his mercy. That's mercy. He knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. See, in the whole picture, forgiveness is necessary to bring us into that relationship with him. And he's done that. It's a gift from God. He's done that. All that we are, and the temptations that assault us, and the the lust that pounds at us, and the business that diverts us, and the weaknesses that are ours, we also have the Father's forgiveness. We have the Father's mercy. I don't know how else we can show the contrast any better than what Scripture has done. If you want to spend an afternoon in a, a good study, it's Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, the whole chapter, speaks of the strength and power of our God, the wisdom of our God, the the ability of our God, the comfort of our God. And then he, right in the middle, says, oh, by the way, and you're just a piece of grass. Right in the contrast of all those great things about our God. And you know how it ends. About those who are weak, those who come to Him. And it says to the effect that He gives us strength like the eagle. You know those verses? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Do you like those? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. The word wait upon the Lord, that's not look at your clock, when's he going to show up? That's not what they mean by wait. The Hebrew word wait there is kind of interesting. It comes from the root word to entwine. I've seen some plants because they're not strong enough to climb up on their own. They'll grab a hold of a pole or another plant or, you know, a, a tree nearby, and they'll just wrap itself around it. And where's its strength as it goes higher and higher up? It's in that plant it's depending on, right? That thing that's holding it up. That's the Hebrew word for it. Those that wait upon the Lord. Where's our strength, folks? Is it in these frail bodies of ours? No. It's in what you've clinged to. It's what you're hanging to. This is the word. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's His strength in you. You see what difference He makes? Mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. That's a picture of our God's mercy. picture of our God's mercy. Who are you wrapped around today? Who are you trusting for your strength? Your purpose for living, your, 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 your goal to make it through another day. What are you counting on? What are you counting on? Mercy of God? That's what our text is calling us to. Matter of fact, this is where we're going with it next. Verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's mercy on those is on those who fear Him. Is that where you are? You trust Him? How long is He going to extend mercy to you? It never fades. It never stops. It's always there because He's always merciful, right? That's a great verse. We're coming on that one. But that's where it is when we talk about His mercy. Folks, let's not trust in ourselves or what we can do or what strength we think we have or what adornment we put on to make it look like we have it. Let's not do that. Let's trust in the Lord. 
the Father of mercies, right? Let's trust in Him and walk with Him. For that's where our strength lies. That's where the mercy is. We're called to rejoice. That's what this whole psalm says. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. I love this passage. So I could talk to you this morning. You might be a petunia or a rose or a thistle. We used to have these things we called stinkweeds. I don't know what you might call yourself. You know what kind you are, but do you know what kind of God He is? Do you know of His mercy? Have you received His pardon? This is a God rich in mercy. Have you received the gift He's given to you, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what it comes down to. As we go into prayer... This morning, if you don't know Christ as Savior, call upon Him. Scripture says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in Him. He's the only one who can give life any kind of purpose at all. But He's the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can give you eternal life. You have to trust Him. Come to Him just as you are. He already knows who you are. right? He already knows that. So I... I I plead with you to consider your relationship with Him. And maybe this morning you know Him as Savior, but you've spent this whole week doing it all your own. Your own strength, your own wisdom, your own planning. You've just worked the whole week as if He wasn't even there. Is that possible we could do that? You haven't considered how dependent you are. I haven't considered how dependent I am on Him for every breath that I breathe. Why don't we talk to him for a little while? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are mindful of every single person in this room. You know us. You know us. There might be relationships here that uh, need your attention this morning, for you're the only one who can change a heart. There's somebody here who needs to know Christ as Savior. Draw them to yourself, Lord. It's only your spirit who can change from the inside out. I pray that you might challenge their hearts right now with the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ died for their sins and through faith in Him they could have eternal life right now. May they talk to you about that. Lord, for the rest of us, we have busy schedules, we know. Sometimes we, we let our schedule dictate our lives. We, we let that dominate our thinking. We, we forget who we are. And at times we forget who you are too. This passage brings it all into uh, a clear focus for us. And we needed it. Thank you for your mercy in even telling us so. You are so kind to reveal these things to us. That we might refocus our attention not on the things of this world and not on ourselves, but on things above. That we may set our focus and our values and our purpose and, and uh, our plans on you and you alone that we may walk in that mercy you have extended to us, realizing every single moment is a gift from your hand. And especially as we know Christ as Savior, thank you, Lord, we have eternal life in Him. And that you will never take from us because of your mercy. Thank you for that mercy today. Thank you for the buckets and buckets of mercy you poured upon us. You are so rich in it and so generous with it. 
And we are grateful recipients today. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.